0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. Well So I'm a little bit worried about my relationship with uh, my my youngest, uh, my little girl, Hope. She's two years old. And the problem is that she's got these cheeks that are so chubby. I mean really chubby and on one of them there's this dimple that anytime she smiles you see this one dimple and she smiles a lot okay and so the problem is she's so cute that i want to bite her face (laughs) and i'm worried because that doesn't seem like a natural instinct a parent should have okay in fact, um, it's not just me, like her older sister, her mom, her older brother, like we all wanna squeeze her, pinch her, bite her face, okay? And I'm worried that like she's gonna have a complex when she grows up, like why is everyone always biting me? You know, like she's gonna need like counseling, okay? And so I was worried, so I thought that the healthiest thing for me to do is just, just Google it, okay? Like just run amok on the internet, okay? so. Um, I come to find out that there have been studies done, okay? And not just like on talk shows, but like Oxford University has done a study. um, Why do we have this impulse to squeeze cute things? Like, why do we want to do that? It seems counterintuitive. And what they've discovered, there's actually a scientific thing, there's something happening in our brains, and they have called it cute aggression. So like, you're like, okay, what is this? For example, if I were to show you a picture of a cute fuzzy bunny, like if I was to show that to you, and I'm not going to do that because that would be a big distraction, okay? But if I were to show you a picture, there's an impulse that many of us have that we want to take that small little bunny and we want to squeeze the life out of it, okay? And that... I don't know why, okay and and so scientists have a theory about where cute aggression comes from, and this seems a little weird, but in an odd sense it kind of it kind of makes a little bit of sense. but they say basically, okay, um, we, when we see cute little things like babies or baby animals, they're vulnerable, and we should be in a position to try and protect protect that baby, help that baby. And so if we were too overwhelmed by its cuteness, it might render us paralyzed to the point of neglect. So they theorize that to offset the overwhelming feelings of how cute that object is, it sends a counter impulse of aggression through our brains at the same time to balance us kind of makes a little bit of sense, actually, okay? I'm not sure that's what they say for Oxford, okay? Now, why did I share this with you? Um, Partially because I needed to get it off my chest, okay? I'm worried, I'm worried. But the other reason is it it kind of brings us to what we're gonna look at today, and I wanna just start with this question. I wanna take a little bit of, of, uh, of a longer runway into this passage, and I wanna start with this question. Is it possible to love something too much? Like, can you can you love something to the point that it either hurts you or hurts the object of your love? Is it possible to love something too much? And this is an interesting question because on one hand, and I think our culture It wrestles with this a little bit because on one hand, when we talk about love, we talk about this idea of love as like an ultimate thing. We say, man, things like all you need is love. Love will get you through. You know, love's the most important thing. If you have love, you don't need anything else. Like we talk about love as this ultimate thing. If it's an ultimate thing, then you should not put any limits on it. Yet at the same time, there, we often see relationships where there's love and we see a dynamic in that relationship that gets unhealthy. What is that dynamic? For example, maybe you're dating someone and you're starting to hear your friends say, hey, you're different. This person's changing you. They're asking too much of you. You're not being true to yourself. You know, don't let someone change you, you be you. And your friends are saying, hey, you're taking it too far. And on one hand, you're saying, look, I love, so shouldn't I want to let you know, love like, take over? And then other people that I, that I trust are saying, no, it's gone too far. Or maybe um, you're a parent. And you have small children, and you're like, of course, I want to love my children. Of course, I want to serve my children and sacrifice for my children. But then maybe you turn around and you look at your, the schedule of your children and all of their extracurricular, extracurriculars they have, and, and the band practice, and the oboe lesson, and the lacrosse tournaments, and all of the things that are going on, let alone all the homework, and the AP classes, and all these things. And you're like, man, I'm trying to love my children and sacrifice for my children, but I'm exhausted, and I don't know if I can sustain this. But isn't loving my children, meaning sacrificing myself, but when does it go too far and I've got to take care of me? We wrestle with it. Can you love someone too much? Or how about a, a spouse? What about the things maybe in your life that are really, really important to you, very life-giving to you? They're key goals. They're key, key parts of who you are. Maybe, but at the same time, that very thing is disruptive or even unhealthy for your spouse. What do you do? It's a friendship that's a significant friendship. It's a hobby that's very life-giving. Or maybe it's a career step that you can't imagine possibly saying no to because these won't come around a second time. So what do you do? You say, man, should I love this person or is that asking too much? And so here's then what our culture says. And it gets it partially right. The issue is not loving too much. The issue is loving in the wrong priority order. That part is right. But then here's where our culture goes. It says the healthiest thing you can do is start by being true to yourself. If you're not true to yourself, everything unravels in fact if a friend or someone you're dating or your spouse or even your kids are asking you not to be true to yourself then they don't really love you and that becomes toxic. So start with being true to yourself. Start by finding your goals. Start by finding your priorities. Start by loving yourself. And if you can love yourself well, you'll be able to love everyone else around you well. That's where our culture goes. They get it half right. The issue's not, Um, Holding back your love, you want to let love go at full throttle. The issue is the wrong priority order. But here's the thing, where they put the priority first is love yourself first. But we all have a sinking feeling that that's wrong. Because we've all seen a friendship that someone was really in for what they get out of it. And that was toxic. Toxic we've all seen a dating relationship where the person was in the dating relationship first and foremost for what that does for them. And that was toxic. We've seen marriages fall apart because both people in the marriage were trying to fulfill their own expectations of what they wanted out of it. And it broke apart. See, we, we've seen how putting ourselves first is toxic. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, don't we kind of instinctually know, and not just like Christians, but like society and history, that fundamentally love expressed is fundamentally actually self-sacrifice? Like That's what our fairy tales are about. Someone who shows such great love and commitment that they sacrifice themselves. Or a love story where ultimately people sacrifice themselves. And so really, we kind of get all the way back to the beginning. What is the priority order? How does this play out? How do we actually have healthy relationships where we can fully and thoroughly love? And here's the good news. The Bible is 100% crystal clear on what the priority is. It just says it. Not mysteriously, very forthright. It gives us the priority order. And so today we're going to see what that priority order is. We're going to look at why that's the priority order. And we're going to talk about just some basic steps as to how can we reprioritize. Because so often, even if we know it, sometimes we kind of stray and get get off track. So here's what I want you to do. Open in your Bible with me to Luke chapter nine. We're gonna pick it up in verse 57. If you've never cracked a Bible open in your life, um, then I'm so glad that you're here. I'd love for you to just take a look at the Bible on your own. You've probably heard, certainly heard of the Bible, maybe heard of what's in the Bible, but I want you to hear the Bible yourself. Hopefully you have a physical Bible. If not, hopefully you have a digital Bible um, and you can hopefully download one on your phone. Open that up to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. We're not only gonna hear straight from the Bible, you're gonna hear it for yourself. You're gonna hear what Jesus himself said. You don't have to wonder what Jesus was about, he just says it. Let's pick it up in in Luke chapter nine, verse 57. Luke is writing an eyewitness account of the life and ministry of Jesus. Here's what happened. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, And birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Now let's pause there for just a second. Jesus is traveling around. He's preaching. He's going town to town, city to city. He will go into the city. He will heal physical bodies, and he will preach about about God. And he'll preach about this kingdom that he's bringing, uh, this new kingdom that he's bringing from heaven to the earth a kingdom that's not of this world. And he's going around preaching, preaching about this kingdom, about the culture of the kingdom, about, about all the things having to do with this. And as he's going, he, the word about him is, is picking up steam. I mean, he's, it's like the ancient version of going viral. Everyone's talking about him. People are following him. And, and this one particular person comes up to him. They don't give the person's name, but says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go, which is a huge statement right? I mean, that's saying it doesn't matter. I mean, if it's a dangerous place, a good place, bad place, I'll go wherever you go. Massive statement. We would think that Jesus is like, good, this is the exact type of person I'm looking for. I'm looking for people who are all in. And so we look like, like you'd kind of expect Jesus to stop and say, hey, everyone look, this is the right, this is what I'm I want, I'm wanting. This is the right kind of person. This is the right kind of, of statement. He says, you expect him to say, yeah, great, come on. That's not what Jesus says. He says this: foxes have holes. They have a hole in the ground or a hole in the rocks where they hide. They have a little den. You wouldn't want to live there, but that's their home. Birds have nests bunch of sticks together up in a tree. Even birds have a home. But he says the son of man, that's his favorite Old Testament title for the Messiah, his favorite one to refer to himself as. It's kind of this mysterious title for a Messiah that also hints at something divine. Someone who's human, but also the passages sound like it's describing God. How can someone be God and, and a human? And he picks this mysterious title for himself. He says, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. I mean, think of that juxtaposition. Even foxes and birds have a home, but the son of man, the long and waited Messiah, the, the one that everyone, everything's been waiting for, everyone's been waiting for, this one that's got this mysterious Godlike glory, this Messiah figure, he will have no place to call home. What is this? This is a warning. This is a, he's not like shooting the guy down, he's basically saying, hey, count the cost before you do this. I'll never forget um, when I I visited the Grand Canyon, Um, it's the first and only time I was there. Uh, If you do like the little trail where you walk down into the Grand Canyon, there's this sign. You like walk, you know, maybe like 100 feet down and then there's the sign. And it says in these big letters that are a little ominous, it says, do not go any further without a day's ration of water. And I'm thinking like, okay, I got my cell phone. Like, you know, that's pretty much all I've got. I'm like, you know, kind of look around at the other people I'm with. I'm like, um, ah, we'll go a little farther. You know, it can't be that bad. Who reads these signs anyway, okay? So we go like just the next turn, like maybe another 15 feet, and a woman is coming back up completely soaked in sweat, panting like she's about to die, barely climbing back up. And with every passerby, she's pleading with him, please don't go any further, and keeps walking like this. And at that, we stopped, looked at each other and said, I've seen enough. I love the grand Canyon. I was good. Go back up. It's a crack. Okay, we, we've seen it. You know, let's go back. Okay, this is Jesus' warning sign." He say, hey, don't come in with all this bravado if you'll go anywhere that I go unless you know. Let me just give you the warning sign, Jesus says. He says, do not go any further unless you know what you're getting into with me. He says, man, if you're coming to follow me for comfort, you're in for a big, big surprise. Because if you're following me wherever I go, that is quite an adventure. I don't even have a place to lay my head. In other words, you're gonna have to choose when it comes to following Jesus, comfort or Jesus. And if you're saying, okay, I'm gonna put comfort aside, I mean, you're putting yourself aside if you're gonna follow Jesus. I think there's a a lot of times all throughout history, people are looking at, oh yeah, I like Jesus because I have these goals, I have this lifestyle I wanna live and I think that Jesus has some wise tips for me, some good advice on how to make these things go better. And so if I can just employ in my work, in my business, in my my relationships, some good nuggets of Jesus teaching, then life will go better. And Jesus says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, time out, time out. If you're thinking following me is going to bring you comfort or glory or success, like just time out. This is an adventure story. Following me is an adventure. You have to choose Comfort or Jesus? Now he runs into another guy. This is even crazier. Let's pick it up in 59. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now pause with me. Okay, wait a minute. Jesus gives a, a command. He's setting this guy aside. He says, follow me. This is a command to this guy. It's not a suggestion. It's not an offer. In the Greek tense, it's, there's a tense set aside for commands. That's what this is. Follow me. It's a command from Jesus. The guy says, okay, but um, let me go bury my father. Now, what does he mean? It could be that his father is at the end of his life, And uh, or maybe very old and over the next few years, he wants to help him transition and help the family transition. And he's got a role to take care of. Or it could be that his father has actually died. And, you know, there's a there's some ritual over that next um, few days, next few weeks, even for the next year that he would say, hey, I want to honor my father and be around And, you know, and and bury him. It could be that it's actually like eminent what's happening there. Either way, what Jesus says is, let the dead bury their own dead. Let the, probably meaning, let the spiritually dead deal with their own rituals. Whoa. Time out. That. Ah, that brings tension up. I mean, that's pretty harsh. I thought Jesus is kind of like kind and meek and nice and loves everybody, and he does love everybody, but I mean, this is, this is a hard phrase. And we gotta bring that intention to what Jesus teaches elsewhere. D- Jesus perfectly upheld God's law because he's God in the flesh. It's his law. It says the finger of God wrote on the tablets on Mount Sinai for Moses. So Jesus wrote these. He teaches in his ministry, honor your father and mother. So now this man, this is very reasonable. He says to Jesus, hey Jesus, I I know you'll understand. I do want to follow you, I will follow you, but I'm gonna honor my father and mother. Isn't that what you want? Let me honor my father and see see him through this season. But Jesus says, No, I told you to follow me. That means drop everything and follow me. And what's interesting in the book of Luke is it records in detail many of the people that Jesus called and said, follow me. And those who did follow him, like Matthew, the tax collector, he was sitting at work at his tax booth and Jesus says, follow me. And he got up, left everything there, the money, the books, the booth and follows Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, they're on the the shore. Their nets are there. They've just had the catch of a century, they've never caught so many fish. And by the word of Jesus, they caught those fish. And Jesus said, come on, I want to make you fishers of men. Follow me. They drop their nets there. You'd at least think, Jesus, how about I just go sell these fish? Because, you know, that could help our mission. Let me just sell this huge catch of fish, and then I'll follow you. But Jesus says, no, follow me. And when Jesus gives a command, he's expecting to drop everything and follow after him. Man, there's kind of a tension here that he's raising up for us. But there's a third individual that Jesus is going to talk to that we're going to look at next. And it's kind of the crescendo. Because the way that the ancients um, were very aware of similar storytelling as we are, and Luke is kind of pairing these together. And you know how, like, it, you start with one, and then it gets, uh, escalates with another, and then escalates with a third. It's like in a joke, you know? Like, we would tell a joke, and there's like, uh, there's, like, three people, and one thing happens, and then it gets, you know, you look at me like you've never heard a joke before. You guys know what I'm talking about? Do I need to tell you a joke? Is that what you need? You need me to tell you a joke? Okay, I'll tell you a joke. Okay, you, you brought this on yourself, okay? Three guys are on an airplane. It's a lead pastor, an executive pastor, and a worship pastor. And the, the pilot comes over and says, look guys, I got some really bad news. Um, the plane's going down. And what's even worse is there's only three parachutes. So, I'm going to take one of the parachutes, and I figure you're all ministers, you can figure out, you know, who gets the other two. So he takes one of the chutes, and he jumps out the plane. So three pastors are in the back, they're looking at each other, and the executive pastor looks at the lead pastor and says, look, clearly, you're super important, you should take one, Uh, hands him a pack, and the lead pastor nods and smiles and jumps out the plane. At that... At that, the worship pastor says, what are we gonna do? And bursts into tears. Worship pastors are like emotional or creative people, okay? (laughs) The executive pastor looks at him and says, relax, I gave him my backpack. (laughs) It's your fault, you made me do it. I didn't even wanna tell the joke, okay? You, You made me do it, okay. The way our jokes work is typically there's one and then there's another one and then the crescendo is the third. Luke is writing it like this because the first one makes us uncomfortable. It's Jesus over comfort. The second one brings attention. I don't even know how to reconcile that. I thought we're supposed to honor our father and mother. You know, what am I supposed to do? You know, like how do I follow after Jesus if he tells me to to not honor my father? Like what is he asking him to do? The third one, listen to the third one. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. All right, this guy comes up and he says, Jesus says, um, this guy comes up and says, look, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Let me just run home and say Goodbye. That's pretty reasonable. Like, on one hand, on just a service level, that's reasonable for anyone. Like, on one hand, it's like, hey, let me just let them know why I'm not home for dinner. Like, I think that'd be a good, good thing. Like, if I follow you and like, I wind up down in Judea or some Samaritan village and I'm not back for a couple weeks, I would think they would wanna know. Like, let me just, I can't, you know, there's no cell phone, not sending a quick text. You know, just let me go and say goodbye. And that's not only like decent, but he's actually quoting something from the Old Testament. He's actually quoting a story of when Elijah calls Elisha his successor. Now, Elijah, if there is one prophet that's the most famous prophet in all of the Old Testament, it would be Elijah. Sometimes Elijah is used To basically summarize like an archetype for all of the other prophets. Sometimes they'll just reference Elijah and they're really meaning all the prophets. That's how significant Elijah is. In fact, when Jesus asked, hey, who are people saying that I am? One of the options is that people thought Jesus was Elijah come back from the dead revisiting God's people like Elijah represents that and so this guy is not only saying hey can I just say goodbye I'll catch up with you it's not just that on a surface level decency he's actually citing what literally happened with Elijah and Elisha Elisha is there plowing his field he's got a yoke of two oxen he's working through the field and Elijah comes up takes off his mantle Puts it on Elisha, and basically he's saying, Hey, come follow after me. I'm going to train you to do what I do. Basically, Elijah is saying to his successor, Elisha, be my disciple. And Elisha says, Let me go say farewell to the people at home. And Elijah says, Great idea, go for it. Elisha goes home, says goodbye, they have a little feast to celebrate that Elisha's becoming a a follower, a disciple of the great Elijah, and then he goes on and follows after Elijah. So this man is like, look, when he says, let me go safe well, he's not just saying, hey, that's like reasonable, right? He's also thinking he's paying Jesus a compliment. Jesus, you're not any rabbi. I mean, you're historic level rabbi. You're like, you're like Elijah prophet level. Like, this is what I'm saying. Man, I take following after you seriously. I think you're like Elijah. Let me go say goodbye to my family. Remember that whole scene? And what does Jesus say? No one who puts their hand to the plow. Jesus like, oh, I see what you're doing, the whole Elijah and Elisha thing. Yeah, you're right. I got you. I gotcha. But no, you can't go back. The guy is saying, "Jesus, I know who you are. You're like you're like Elijah." And Jesus' response essentially is, "No, something greater than Elijah is here. This is not a prophet asking you to follow me. Follow him. This is not a rabbi. This is not just a historic individual." It's something greater. How could Jesus be asking someone to put, their, put him before their comforts, put him before their, their parents, put, them, put him before their family, those at home? How could Jesus ask that? Isn't that irresponsible of Jesus? See, Jesus can ask that in a way that nobody else can because when we start following Jesus, we're acknowledging that we're completely in his hands. He's taking care of us. And at the same time, because he's God, he's also taking care of those we're leaving behind. It's because Jesus is like, unlike a rabbi a rabbi might be like the guy's like hey you clearly don't understand what's happening at home my dad's about to die or my dad just died or my dad will die one day and Jesus if he says follow me he knows he actually is the only one that knows better what's happening in your life and in all of the people around you and the people that are dependent on you's life he knows everything so if Jesus is calling you to do something he already knows and it's in his hands if Jesus is saying, no, follow me and don't even go home. Jesus is the only one who's gonna take care of that person and all of those people at home. He actually knows what's going on at home even though that guy doesn't. He's the only one that has everybody in his hands, knows all of it and is powerful enough to make it all work together for good. He's the only one that is, he's actually holding the molecules of those that are back at home together. Their bodies are still holding together. Because of this person. Because Jesus is not just a rabbi or a prophet or a teacher. He's God. See, what Jesus is saying is a radical call to put him before everything else. Everything else. If we could summarize this in in one big idea for you to walk out of here with, it's this idea. If Jesus becomes greater than everything else, everything else becomes greater than before. If we choose to make Jesus greater than everything else, it actually makes everything else more healthy. See, when we decide to put another relationship, there's a lot of really important relationships. Your family, first and foremost. Key relationships. Your family being your your marriage last week Pastor Justin taught a fantastic message to kick off our new series. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen to it. After our relationship with God, our marriages come first. But let's not skip over that. What does it mean putting our relationship with Jesus first? putting Jesus, if we put something other than Jesus first, like our marriage or our kids, and sometimes we may not even think we're doing it, but so quickly we can kind of drift and we put those relationships first. Here's what happens. We put expectations without realizing it on those relationships that only Jesus can satisfy. There's a God-shaped hole in each one of us. And if we put something before God, something before Jesus, we don't even realize it, but that spouse or that child or that friend or that boyfriend or girlfriend or that fiance, that person goes into that place that only Jesus is supposed to be. And all of a sudden we're expecting that person to do something for us and do what only Jesus can do for us. So for example, um, if we put our our kids first, what happens, a lot of times what we can do is we can can look to our kids first and, and a parent can say, oh, I just love the companionship. There's something... There's a relational intimacy that I get from this child that I so desperately want. Um, I love like living my life and watching them grow, and I love having this warm relationship. And, and maybe that person didn't have a warm relationship with their parent or whatever, but they want this relationship to be a great, tight-knit relationship. And what can happen is then they don't realize, but they're, they're putting that relationship first. And here's ultimately, when we put something else before God, we end up choking it, and squeezing it and it gets toxic because it's in the wrong priority. And so what happens? Well, if I'm so desperately needing that companionship and that relationship, then when there comes a time where it's more loving to risk that relationship for the sake of the child, I'm not willing to do it because that warmth and closeness of relationships too important. So when they're little, there may be a time I need to discipline them, but man, I don't wanna create that, dis- that distance. Or when they're older, there comes a time when I need to lovingly, graciously, with all the acceptance of a parent, but still speak the truth, but I don't wanna do that because I don't want them to give me a cold shoulder for, for a while. And so I, I can hold back from stepping in and leading in that relationship as a parent if I'm putting that child first. Or I might be looking to, for that child to do what only Jesus can do for me, which is to give me my identity. How often, and we've all seen this before, and we can see it in other people more easily than we can see it in ourselves. Maybe there's an unmet expectation for us from our youth academically, athletically, musically, in some way, some unmet expectation that left us with a gap in our identity. And so we want to see our child thrive in that way so that somehow vicariously we can have the accomplishments or the achievements that we didn't have that are still unmet for us. And in so doing, we're using our child to build our own identity. But what happens? Now we're yoking that child with expectations and with a plan for their life that may not be God's plan for their life. See, we can, if we put a child before Jesus, it's the wrong priority order. And it can actually end up being, it will end up being toxic for that relationship. How about a spouse? It's not hard for a spouse to be put as a priority over Jesus. And we look for that spouse to do for us what only Jesus can truly do so maybe we look to that spouse for for security belonging safety provision acceptance and so what can often happen is we so want that acceptance or that safety from that relationship And we're so needing that, that's filling such a void in our own hearts that when that spouse inevitably is going through something difficult in their life and they, through that season, are no longer able to do those things for you that cue you, that they love you and accept you, the way they they handle you, treat you, look at you, serve you, touch you, whatever those things are that cue you that you're loved and accepted. When they're in a space that they can't do that for you, you don't have what it takes in there to wait patiently for them to walk through that season because you're putting an expectation on them that only Jesus can fill. Or maybe it's the reverse. We are expecting our spouses without realizing it to put us ahead of Jesus. And maybe there's not that dynamic of, of course I want you closer to Jesus than me. I want you to have the time you need with Jesus. I want you to do the things that draw you closer to Jesus. And if that means you can't meet my needs or my expectations exactly how, how, how um, I want them, that's okay because Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your God. Jesus is your rescuer. Jesus is your provider, your protector. I want you closer to Jesus than you are to me. See, if, if we put Jesus in that place that only, if we put someone else in that place that only Jesus can be in, it's actually gonna hurt those other relationships. The problem is not loving too much, it's in the wrong priority order, and it starts with Jesus. And in just like Jesus started by saying, and following me means putting your comforts last. So it starts with Jesus, we love Jesus first. Then through him he directs us to those around us that we love, our spouse second, our kids third, others, and then we trust him that he's gonna take care of us last. There's a priority order that as long as we are following after him, we can trust that he'll keep us in those right priority order. Here's my fear. My fear is that there'll be those who hear this message and say, you know what? You're right. My life is out of balance. That's my fear. And that you're, you'll walk out with the idea of, yeah, I need to balance things. I need, a, you know, I've I've leaned too heavily with the kids, um, and I need to, you know, a little bit more with the spouse and a little bit more with Jesus. I need to ba- What I need is balance. That is not what this text is calling you to do. This text is calling you not to a balanced life. See, the pursuit of balance means it kind of infers that you know what balanced looks like. The pursuit of balance is kind of inferring that you have control enough to put everything in balance. That is not what this text is calling you to. It's calling to a radically imbalanced allegiance to Jesus. All Jesus first, knowing that he knows And then if you follow after Jesus, then he will help you prioritize the things, right? That's a vulnerable feeling. Here's what following Jesus is. It's having an active, intimate relationship with the person of Jesus. Putting Jesus first is not the same as exhausting yourself. Putting Jesus first is not the same as serving in a ministry. Putting Jesus first is not the same thing as pain and suffering. Putting Jesus first is a personal pursuit of the the one true living Messiah. Remember, he died and rose again. He is alive. It's having an active, intimate relationship with the person of Jesus. And so where do we start? Can I just give you something so Basic, but we have to be called back to this over and over and over and over. What is the best thing you could do for your marriage? What is the best thing you could do for your kids as a parent? Is carve out sacred time where you get alone with the person of Jesus every day and you hear from him. I don't want to make this legalistic but you can't have an active relationship with the person of Jesus if you're always too busy to get time and hear from him. Carve out the time. If you're not having the time, oh, it's just a busy season with the kids. What's first? Oh, it's just there's so many things that, you know, my wife and I or my husband and I were trying to do or I want to be there to serve him or serve her and I've got this and that. And, you know, they, they you know I don't want that to get in the way. I'm not suggesting that you go off and do your devotions when all the dishes have piled up at the end of the night. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying it probably means get up early before anyone else is awake. You say, I have little children, they get up at four. Okay, then I don't know, maybe late at night. I don't know what it is. Find the time fight for it, and not just a two-minute verse of the day video while you're brushing your teeth. Hear from your Savior. The living, the living God wants an intimate relationship with you. Carve out the time. Give him the, get, wake up early in the morning. Give him 30 minutes. Give him an hour. Journal. Pray, read the scripture, listen to worship music, go for a walk, hear from your Savior and spouses, protect that time. You need each other to put Jesus before each other. Husbands, be the first advocate that your wives put Jesus before you. Wives, be the first advocate that your husband put Jesus before you. Protect that time. Strategize for that time. Create that time. And put Jesus first. Why? Isn't it like ironic and isn't it kind of backwards that Jesus is like, hey, all of you, put me first. Like, isn't that like a self-centered thing for Jesus to say? Isn't it like ironic that he would ask that? No, it's actually very, very logical. He's saying, follow after me and here's what I have come to do to give up my life for all of you. How could following after him not mean the same thing in return? What did your savior do? Came down from heaven The one that deserved all the worship in the entire universe, it's all for him but yet he came and had nowhere to lay his head and he came to suffer and die, that was the purpose of the mission, that was not a backup plan, he came to suffer and die on the cross so that you and I could have forgiveness and spend eternity in heaven he's not calling you to earn your way to heaven he's saying you can't, you need me He's the one that rescues you. Why would we want to put Jesus first? Because he's the one that is your closest companion. He's always with you. He's with you in that dark valley as you're wrestling with a broken relationship with one of your children. He's with you in that dark valley. Maybe if you're in a lonely, broken place in your marriage or maybe you're in a lonely, broken place in your singleness. He's with you in that moment. He's always with you. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's with you right now. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Why would it, of course, be Jesus first? Because he supplies an identity that's so far from anything you could earn here on earth as we try and just grapple with these earthly things about getting a little more successful or making a little bit more money or or being liked by a few more people or, or this or that. We try and mess around with these silly things when he says, I've made you an heir of the kingdom of heaven. You will reign with me. You've been adopted into the family. You are a child of almighty God. How could any identity compete with that? He said, man, how, how could you look to anyone else to find significance or belonging or provision? He says, I provide for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air. Will I not provide for you, my child? He says, no, you, of course you put me first. And here's why you should put Jesus first before anything else. Because there are some of you that are in a place where you're wondering if that relationship with your child is dead is broken and cannot be repaired. There's some of you that are wondering if that relationship with your spouse, that marriage is dead. And you're wondering, I don't know what could rehabilitate it, but your Jesus is alive. He's a miracle worker. He called dead things to life. And if he has you here, hearing this today, it has to be because he has a plan of resurrecting a relationship in your family. Do you believe that church? Do you believe that today? That is who your Jesus is. He works miracles, put him first in your life, run after him and watch as he works miracles in your family. Now some of you are here and you've been wandering around putting other things in your life, maybe your career, maybe a a friendship, a, a dating relationship, a spouse, a child, everything else has been first and you've always had Jesus as something you sprinkle into your life. That means he's not your Lord. And if you truly know him as your savior, He has to become your Lord. And so some of you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior for the first time today. I'm not suggesting that you get a little more religious. I'm not suggesting that you simply come to church a little more often. I'm suggesting far more than that, that you go on the adventure mission of saying, Jesus is first in my life. I will go where he goes. And before you say you're gonna do that, count the cost because you're about to embark on an adventure. But some of you are here saying, that's me, I'm ready to go, I wanna take that step. And if that's you, let me lead you in this prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Some of you are saying, hey, I'm ready to take a step and follow after Jesus. I've had Jesus as a piece of my life, but I'm ready to make him my savior and Lord. And so here's what I want you to do, whether you're there at Cooper City, you're here at West Pines, or you're watching online, I want you to take this quiet moment. Can can we just create this moment of seeking after the Lord, you and God right now? Count the cost. You ready to make Jesus your Lord? If that's you, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer so you can start that relationship, but with no one looking around if you're saying, I want to put Jesus first, in just a moment, I ask you just to slip your hand in the air as a sign before the Lord. Amen. You're saying, it's before my marriage, it's before my kids, it's before my career. Jesus, you're first. If that's you, slip your hand in the air. Praise God. Amen. I see it. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I want you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I'm gonna lead you in a prayer, silently right there in your seat. Lift this prayer to him. Just say this silently to him. He hears you. Jesus, you are first. You saved me. For eternity, I will be in heaven by the work you did. You are before everything else. I follow you. In Jesus' name, amen there were people that put their faith in Jesus for the first time today. Can we just celebrate that? Praise God. Amazing step of faith you took today. Praise God, we are so excited for you. And here's what I want to encourage you to do is that if that was you, if you prayed that, maybe you're watching online, you prayed that, I want you to go to cityrev.org slash faith. If you're here, I want you to get that Get Connected card. If that was your prayer, just then, I want you to fill out that information on your Get Connected card and just say, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. We've got a baptism coming up. We want to, we want to celebrate with you in baptism. We want to tell you more information about that. Fill that out and put that in one of the offering boxes as you leave. Church, we're going to close with a song where we cry out to Jesus and remind ourselves that He is what we're searching for. He's what we're craving. He's the only thing that can satisfy inside. Let's sing that back to Him. Let's let our souls cry that out. Would you stand with me as we close with this song? Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org.